0: Hello, Philip here from the Sports Babble. Hope you're all well. Uh, we're going to try things a little bit different on the Sports Babble going forward. We're going, to not, we're going to branch out, basically. Instead of just having a podcast about the Premier League, we're going to start talking about all things sport. Sometimes we might even be talking about sport, but I hope you really enjoy this. We're going to try and get as many guests on as we can over the next couple of weeks. And I had the chance to sit down with our first guest at the weekend, Gareth Hanna from the Belfast Telegraph. I'm lucky enough I get to work with Gareth and I got to shadow him for BBC Radio Ulster to do commentary, Garry's brilliant and he's also a brilliant journalist. We sat down and chatted about how the Irish league is coping with Covid-19, whether the league will return to finish this season. We looked back at Garry's brilliant article that came out last week about the heartbreaking end of the 1994 season if you are a Portadown or a Glen Alvin fan. We looked at how Ulster rugby and how rugby in general seems to be coping with Covid-19. And we also looked at the golf schedule, because golf looks like it's going to be the first major sport that pretends to be back. And whether we think that'll benefit Rory McIlroy and Graeme McDowell, and whether they can make a difference in this year's majors. We also chatted Gareth about what got him into sports journalism. I really hope you enjoy the podcast. It's something different we're going to try on the, on the Sports Babble. So if you know anyone that you think would be brilliant to come on and chat to us, drop us a line at our email at thesportsbabble.gmail.com or get us across our social media platforms at The Sports Babble. I really, as I said, I really hope you enjoy this next podcast. I love doing it. And Gareth, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You're a gentleman. Up next is myself and Gareth Hannah. Hey, hey, hey. um, I'm joined on today's episode by Gareth Hanna of the Belfast Telegraph, also Robbie. Uh, Roundup podcast and BBC Radio Ulster commentator. Hello, Gareth. Hello,
1: Phil. How are you doing? I've been introduced like to before. No <laughs> yeah. word. Did you enjoy that? <laughs> yeah, I did. did. Um... I like, sort of on the tee at the, the open or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gareth, just to start us off with, how
0: are you finding... You're all, we're all in, in lockdown and self-isolation. Uh, you work for the Belfast Telegraph, obviously. How have you found it, just for yourself personally, having to work from home and... Produce content for the paper. Have you enjoyed it, or what's it been like?
1: Yeah. So at the start, like I was a wee bit concerned, just thinking, what am I going to write about for the next foreseeable future? Because you sort of you don't know how long this is going to last for. And um, it's no sport as a sports reporter. It's interesting trying to come up with things. But um, as time has gone on, I must say I have got more and more used to it, and um, I'm actually quite enjoying it now. Can you say that? Are you allowed to say that you're enjoying the pandemic? But like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I could adjust to this, okay. But like, like, I wish the pandemic was over, but if life after the pandemic could just keep going, I guess I'd sort of be happy enough. And a bit of a recluse, probably, like I'm happy enough with my own company, just in the house doing my own thing, going for little walks. It's great, and not having to commute to work, it's amazing. And uh, as regards like the actual job, so it's sort of, uh, I suppose it's forced us to be a wee bit more creative than we would normally have to be, which is great. So we've just sort of been trying to do a few different uh, features and things and um, did one last week on the, the Deadland put it down in 1994. The two of them were going head-to-head in the final day of the league and whoever won won the league, the drew and then Phil one it. And So I grew up uh, as a Glen fan, just I was too young to have been there that day, but I sort of grew up uh, on the stories of it. So uh, from my uncle and his friends, just about how bad it was. So it was nice to just do a little feature into that and talk to... Uh, Steve McBride, he missed a big chance for Glenn Allen and Robert Casey, he missed a big chance for Portadown, And just, it's like a real story of sporting pain and misery, uh, which is, is the true feelings of sport to me. But, so it's, it's nice to do, do wee things like that and do, do something a bit different. So, uh, yeah, don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I am quite enjoying it.
0: I, I read that piece last week, um, and I absolutely was gripped bet i watched then a video the video on youtube of, of mark robson doing the commentary for you and obviously like I, I live just outside lurgan now so glenavon are my look, home team now so to speak i'm sure Banbridge people will not appreciate that but um
1: <laughs> sure that <Ken> was,
0: <laughs> yeah that was it's more julie Cominsky that runs the podcast we <laughs> yeah. that was um that was absolutely wild like, and I didn't I know. know this until I like, read through it. Like, I, I would follow the Irish League not as much as I should do, and it's something I want to make a point of doing when this all kicks up again. Mm-hmm. Um, following it more obviously with helping with BBC and stuff and helping with yourself, but only 10 times had a team won it outside of Belfast.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy, and that, that's even to, that's to now, like, that's not yeah. until 1994, that's to now. So, like it's absolutely mental so it's been going 118 years or something Did i say i can't remember now but it's yeah. yeah, something like that and eight or ten times it has uh it has been outside belfast like it's crazy i think it's like Portadown. iron i've won it four times then haven i've won it three and then corain won it once didn't it so i can't remember who the other ones are but yeah like yeah absolutely crazy so to have Boothlin having imported down that year, going so close, was uh, something really different than something for uh, mid Ulster football I would love to get back to, but you can't see that happening anytime soon. You you
0: could feel, coming from the article guide, you could feel the pain still (laughs) in Robert Casey and Steve McBride's words. Yeah, like, and and what struck me off. Everybody knows I'm a Liverpool fan. Someone Stephen McBride said about the slip, and he can relate that. I haven't yeah. heard anyone say that yet. All you hear about the Stephen Gerrard slip is laughs and jokes. Yeah. Sky Sports even did a day on it last week, I believe. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: and
0: yeah. I unfortunately I didn't, and then you hear <laughs> you hear someone actually say, "I can relate to that," and I haven't heard yeah. anyone say that yet. Like, and no, I think, no, you're right. Oh, the pain. That must yeah. just be. And the crowd as well was unbelievable that
1: day. I know, uh, it was mental. Just uh, talking about Stephen McBride, the pain of it all, that interview that I did with Stephen was, because I knew Stephen reasonably well from, uh, he was manager at Longhaven maybe between 10, 15 years ago. And I would have interviewed him every week for the Oregon Mail back then who I was working for. And uh, he, so I sort of knew him. So I rang him up and I was like, like, you're, you're ringing up out on legend, an Irish league legend who has done so much in the game, played for Northern Ireland and then you get a wee prick like me ringing him up being like, so I want to talk about the worst moment of your career I was like, <laughs> I, was like I understand if you can just want to tell me to go away and never talk again, I understand but he was an absolute gentleman he was like, no problem, I'll talk away about that you ask me whatever you want and uh, he was brilliant like asking him about uh, the whole day and asking him about the moment that that shot missed and in the years since and like honestly like maybe this is the boyhood and album fan coming out in me but there was a stage of the phone call where I had to sort of compose myself because I was about to first into tears. It was just like, then you feel so melodramatic because there's literally a pandemic going (laughs) on. That's the most serious thing in the world. And then sitting there crying about that Lealham didn't win the league 26 years ago. But it's just, that's the beauty of sport though, isn't it? Like that it just has this power to be so emotional. And then he's talking about every few days, like it'll come into his head and they'll just think about that they didn't win the league. Like it's, people say now sport is the most important of the least important things, but it's, uh, it can just have that, power over like that one day has such power over the rest of his life and the regret and uh, I don't know I just think there's something quite beautiful about it nearly.
0: There is, there really is, and I know a few Portland fans that would would read the article and they might listen to this whatever and they'll they'll feel it from a different side, looking at yeah. at Casey's miss and like. Yeah. I think Margaret Robinson does it really well as well in the commentary because he 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 can build up a dr- drama sometimes in his voice very well and it's yeah. way away or rushing through, and like the ball almost stops in the air as it's coming <laughs> down and, you, and
1: <laughs> oh my goodness and and, uh, and Robert Casey then I suppose they won the league two years later so I suppose he can look back at it a little bit uh, with a little bit more humour. Then, yeah. uh, so he was like saying about how he plays golf i don't think I put this in the article there's so much stuff i could have used that just didn't make it in the article but he's saying that every time he plays golf now with uh, his regular four ball that he plays golf with there's this guy that every time he has a putt, the guy he will just go and no, make sure you don't fluff that like you fluff the league <laughs> <laughs> like and he says uh, i can't remember whether i put this in the article or not i think this might have been like one of the last bits i had to take out uh but he said that Guy Haylock, so Guy Haylock was playing for Linfield uh, that year whenever Linfield won, were the team that won the league. So, yeah. And then he signed for Portland Iron a year, two years later, and he said it might even have been that summer. Uh, but anyway, he says Guy Haylock. The first time he met him after he'd signed from Portadown, Guy Haylock just come up to him and goes, "And Casey must score." He's like, oh, you <laughs> <break."> <laughs> oh "My God!" Oh. He's, he's oh, just you're gets, so cross. He just gets constant ribbing about it now. But yeah, I suppose at least, at least for them, they they, they, they won it two years later and they won it so recently. Whereas Leinavon, it's now like, sixty years this year. Just uh, yeah, mental. But. Um... You know,
0: one of my first ever autographs I got. In fact, the first autograph I ever got was
1: Glenn Ferguson's.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I still have it because m- my mum uh, has loads. Of, keeps finding loads of my stuff now um, in the attic. Obviously, she's clearing it out because of lockdown. But um, Barnaby's played Glenavon, and I don't know if this is in the cup or it was in a friendly. But they played Glenavon at Crystal Park. Yeah. And S- Spike was still playing for Glenavon, obviously. So it was. This is like middle maybe nineties. And um, I was down, I think I was doing ball boy, but uh, after the match, um, I was standing around the changing rooms and uh, a friend of my dad just pushed me into the Glenavon changing room because I wanted to meet them. I was just like in awe Glenavon and he
1: pushed
0: me in and I got, I think there's a photo of me as well. And it's probably can't really show the photo because I think they're all in the nip because they're all in the shower, and I'm like standing there as like a was it seven or eight year old with a ball and getting a wee a wee card signed that my dad pulled out of his wallet and say, just said Glenn Ferguson on it, I think, or G. Ferguson.
1: Uh, that's nice.
0: Uh, I went home then wanting to be Glenn Ferguson, yeah. wanting to score goals at Glenn Ferguson. So, that's brilliant.
1: Um, and
0: of course he went on then to just absolutely win everything. And yeah, yeah, it's gold machine,
1: possibly the best player ever in the Irish League. Uh, it's an interesting
0: I haven't seen, actually, um, there's a lot of talk about greatest ever Premier League, greatest ever La Liga players, yeah. but I haven't seen, I've seen a few bits yeah. on it, but I haven't seen, a, a, like, a, a definite one come up where p- people have been able to get involved as much. At
1: least have missed one. But, yeah, um, no, I haven't seen any either. To you point, can, out, I always think these things are so difficult, though. Like, especially uh, because the, the real, like, golden era of the Irish League was probably, like, the 50s i don't know whenever you had like jackie Melbourne coming over to sign for lindford and everything so it's like it's impossible for us to say really yeah.
0: you look
1: back at that and you're like the stories uncle going always tells of these days so you're like it just sounds like it was light like, years better than it, it is now but i don't like,
0: know Crusaders were able to draw liverpool in the european cup yeah I know. Frown, like that <laughs> just unbelievable
1: i know, I know. Um... and you used to with be his benfica team to play distillery and everything it's crazy like <laughs> Imagine Ronaldo rocking up with Juventus now to, to, to Leo and <laughs> Peter Watson,
0: that uh, used to manage Bambridge Town and obviously played for Distillery yeah. against Barcelona. When I started coaching, um, he was in charge of Banbridge's academy. Mm-hmm. And I came down and I I got to... Oh, I knew him anyway because he was managing Banbridge when I was younger. And then I got to work sort of under him as a coach. And then I didn't know this, obviously, but someone told me he'd played against Barcelona. And then I was obsessed asking him about all these questions and I could tell he was getting annoyed at me. Like I was just constantly like you played at the new camp and you played against <laughs> what
1: was going on. But um those days are long gone, unfortunately.
0: But you never yeah. know football yeah. might revaluate itself now, we might see something yeah. like that come back.
1: Dunno. Yeah, maybe I doubt it. It's just uh the top clubs rule the race now, don't they? Like it's not yeah would be financially beneficial to be letting them fill into the first round proper of the Champions League now. But yeah.
0: we um we're all obviously Covid nineteen has took over sport, and a lot of the news in football and in professional sport is all about when leagues are going to come back. And we've seen high profile leagues like the German league and the Dutch league decide um, winners and relegated teams. The Premier yeah. League is fighting within itself about what it's going to do next. How is the Irish league cope with this? And obviously, it's a little bit different. But what mm. sort of has been the what's been going on with the Irish league? And, and has there been any plans drawn up, or are they just waiting?
1: Well, they are, I suppose they're sure of waiting for now, but that's not going to last very long because, um, as I'm sure you probably know, UEFA have put a deadline now in place of May 25th. I'm 99% sure the date is that, I uh, should have checked that, but yeah, no, it's May 25th. I think it, that,
0: I think it is about that, yeah.
1: Isn't it, that clubs have to, or leagues have to submit their plans for, Concluding the campaign, or else abandoning it. And if they're going to abandon it, they need to come up with uh, reasons that meet UEFA's guidelines as to why they're doing it, or else they'll potentially lose the European money uh, and places for next season. So the Irish League has a lot of thinking to do over the next um, the next three weeks here uh, to see what they're what they're going to say to UEFA. Because do you know what, I don't envy them. I don't envy anybody in football having to make these decisions. Because no matter what you do. Uh, you're gonna annoy somebody or it's just so difficult. I know the Premier League's obviously talking about coming back behind closed doors, but it's hard to see how that can work in the Irish League because the only way that works in any form of safety, and even that's debatable, um, is to for the players to be completely quarantined for the duration of this. Um, to be away from families, away from friends, away from everybody. They they just have to be with their teammates, coaches and that's it. You can't do that in the Irish League. That's all it's all very well if you're getting paid twenty grand a week or more than that. Yeah.
0: But
1: you can't do this in the Irish League because boys obviously have their other jobs and for all the obvious reasons. So that that's a no go for the Irish League. So how then do you get games played anytime soon? Like I just I don't think it's realistic. So we you we were talking about they're looking the season to be concluded for something in around the twentieth of july i just i, I think it's uh, i don't think it's possible in the irish league like who, who knows maybe i'm wrong but i can't see i can't see how it can happen especially when we look at the guidelines that the uh, republic of ireland government issued uh, yesterday mm-hmm. for their five phase plan to get back to you notice know, something resembling normal life i mean if you look at whenever they're talking about uh, the league of ireland clubs Potentially being able to host even closed door games. This is—we're not even talking about fans coming in. This is just playing. They're talking about July twentieth as being the very earliest that can that can happen. that games can be played. So if that's when UEFA are looking the Irish league to be finished by, then it's impossible. So I don't know if the government does come up with that those plans, uh, the UK government, then. And says that clubs are not allowed to play games until July 20th, well then, all being well, that will satisfy UEFA's requirement uh, for the European money at least, so hopefully that won't be lost. But that just leaves you with the dilemma as to what you do about crowning champions, promotion, relegation. Um, which, as I say, do not envy anybody having to come up with those decisions because there is nothing you can do that isn't going to get somebody's back up and potentially end in a legal battle somewhere. Um, yeah, interesting to show so many different approaches to this. Uh, PSG obviously were crying the French champions, but wasn't it Holland that are not going to uh, a yeah. crown a champions? Not right? So, yeah. uh hard to know. Um, Ireland faded far enough ahead that uh, you can crown them champions. Well. Potentially. I know Ulster is a different sport, but Ulster hockey released uh, their final tables yesterday. So they just uh, converted all the points into like percentage of points won so that because teams had played a different amount of games. So that brought it all out and they declared champions yesterday. So um maybe are we saying this is Liverpool fans? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I think I think you have to you have to we're, like the Irish League has played thirty-one games of a thirty-eight league season. It's Matthew Tippins as an interview, Aww. and today's Belfast Alga yeah. just saying like, "What? So is the last seven months just worth nothing?" Oh. I don't think that's realistic. And as he points out, that opens up just like, "What do you?" So players have been paid for pointless the mm-hmm. like, pointless games. Fans have paid season tickets for to watch and normal tickets for nothing for games that were effectively pointless. I just don't think. I don't think you can do that. Well, obviously Holland, Holland, so you can't. But I don't think it's the best way to go forward. But do you then go back to like the midpoint of the season where everybody had played the same teams? I, I don't know. It's just it's a minefield, an absolute minefield. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, I don't. I don't think the Irish League will be playing any more games. But um, it's going to be very interesting to see then what they do in terms of. Uh, Champions and especially with the promotion places, maybe they'll make it a 14 a team league or whatever for next year. But even Lockall All not be happy if that happens. Can you imagine if they had said it was going to be a 14 team league and Lockall lost out because they got deducted four points the other day? Come.
0: <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> being a leagues fan with a Port of Nine, uh, favourite Port of Nine <laughs> as well? Right now, you'll be up to high oh. though. I know, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> you'd just be, okay. you'd just feel jinxed. You know what that I mean? You'd just mean, be yeah. be like, we're, back. I, I, we both sort of, we both follow Liverpool, and and I do feel like there's some sort of a curse <laughs> for this Premier League or uh, something okay. on. It's hard. Like I, I, I was talking yesterday and um to friends or whatever, and I don't, I don't want us to play. And I'm talking just about the, the English league here for a minute. I don't want them to play games behind closed doors. I also don't want them to use up the amount of tests they're going to use. I I mean, there needs to be a moral, a moral compass here where you're thinking, hang on, yeah. those tests could be used for um, for actual people that need them rather than just to get yeah, sport back true. up. Now, sport is important. Don't get me wrong. We both love it. And you said as well, talking about um, Steve McBride and stuff and what was going on, like how they felt and how beautiful it can be and the moments in it. to Definitely get it up and going, but I, I don't think it's right to go yet. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be any patience at all within professional football.
1: No, none whatsoever. I That's think really the worst
0: it. is the actual Dutch League, or what they did. I think just uh, you, you couldn't have crowned a champion because they were level on points. I get yeah. that. But I think it's a it gamber, you call it, I haven't pronounced that wrong, but they were 11 points clear no. in the first of, first division and then they've been told you're not getting promoted. I know. That oh, no. would just be devastating.
1: There was a non-league team in England too, I can't remember who it was, who had already won the league literally had already won and celebrated win in the league. And then they're told, no, actually haven't. Season's cancelled. <laughs> I can't remember who that was. I think it was like Conference North or one of those leagues. I can't remember. But it definitely was. Like there was a team that had already won the league and then told they actually had mental.
0: Have you been able to chat to anyone within any players running within the league, engaged any of their feelings towards it? Like I know um, just from talking to people that play mm-hmm. amateur football they're itching to get back playing again, but they don't want to go until it's safe. I I would be of the opinion that until the likes of me and you, me and you couldn't go to Myra Park kick a football together safe, then why can we play? We can't play sport. Contact no, sport, anyway.
1: Exactly. No, that's it. Yeah, that's what I mean in terms of the Premier League. Maybe can do it if they quarantine everybody, but the Irish League, there's no chance. I don't think there's any chance the players or the referees would agree to it. And I think one of the referees would say it was did an interview somewhere in the last couple of weeks basically saying they'll not be back until, or they certainly they would have severe reservations about coming back until it's safe. So, like, how long is that going to be? I just... I, yeah, not I until just there's a know.
0: vaccine. Not until there's a vaccine.
1: Does that mean we've no football until there's a vaccine? I don't know. Surely I'm gonna
0: we'll talk about to this in a bit. The next Everyone. Everyone. do
1: no, it, it, it could happen. It's a possibility. Like we have to look at it and say that yeah. is at this level, that is a possibility. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. everyone
0: is going yeah. to start following. What are going to write
1: about for the next eighteen months if there's no football? You're blessed.
0: I don't have to get a new job. <laughs> no, with well, the articles you're finding, you what I've found as well, actually, and we'll chat about what got you into sort of sports journalism. And um, there's been some brilliant stories. Like your story about the Irish League, what happened? There's one I want to read later in the Telegraph about John McClellan because the headline grabbed me. He, he was told to mark Diego Maradona, so I want to see what's going on there. And um, there's been yeah. other stories yeah. in other sports, like in the NBA and baseball, coming out because out of interest in those. And and people have been able, they've got the chance now to maybe write about or talk about what they want to talk about rather than just filling yeah. match reports. So have you found yeah. that, like you've, you've had ideas and you've probably had ideas on the backlog now that you think, I've got a chance now to sit down and write yeah. and talk
1: about that. No, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's one of the really nice bits of it. As you say, you get the chance to write about something really interesting rather than, because normally sport's so flat out, you're just going from one match to the next and you have to yeah. write about that match and what people are saying about it. And yeah, like, but the athletics changed things too for sports journalism um, in terms of these big feature articles. And like, it definitely was more of a struggle to get people to read those, I think, online, particularly, before The Athletic, in terms of, I just think people's, I don't know, I just think people that didn't really have the interest in sitting down and reading 2,000 words on something. Maybe that's wrong, but I found it was more of a struggle, whereas now, those are our best-read articles online, which is brilliant, brilliant from a sports journalist's point of view, because that's what we want to be doing. We don't want to yeah. be doing something short, wee, snappy, crap things like we want to be doing these big proper feature looks into things uh so yeah it's really good to get the chance to do that um you just do there's a party that wonders when your ideas are going to run out though so so we do need support packets at some stage before we run out of ideas but, uh, yeah hopefully yeah, um, we'll get but, golf back yeah back. and that, that john town piece today by uh, johnny bradley's been uh, is, is really good too really interesting talking about how he can go from getting released by a couple of clubs, working in a fish factory in uh, Bangor City, um, whenever he couldn't get into the Bangor City team, to then, just a few years later, being hand-selected to Mark Maradona. I'll so, uh, well, not ruin any more of it. So no. how you t- can all go and read it. What, what got you into sports journalism? It was the Irish League. So, um, it all just came from... Uh, going along and watch, being an Allen fan and just starting to get involved in things there. I think I got start, just started writing stuff for the programme whenever I was really young, like probably 14 or 15. Uh, I don't even know really why or how it happened, but I think it was probably Michael Scott, um, who is the editor of the uh, Arma. Oh, I can't remember the name of his paper. It's really bad, isn't it? I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, he's the editor of a paper in Arma now, but he was... Uh, just a few years older than me and he was looking to get into sports journalism then we just started talking and he was like, oh, you should start writing for the programme too. So and I did and then just sort of one thing led to another really from there. Like I feel really fortunate in that like, things just, I don't know, things just sort of happened and it just worked out and um, went from that to then editing the match day programme a few years later and then into writing the Glen Alvin stuff for the Larga Mail and then... Uh, Sitting in the press box one day, said to Gordon hannah who's uh, unfortunately passed away now, who's a a brilliant sports writer, uh from Lurgan. Uh, so we just got to know him well, and he uh, just told him I'd love to do radio, and he got in contact with the producer from BBC sports Sound, and um told him that I'd be interested, and I went down just into the studio. I think it was a bit of a favour for uh gordon brian johnson the producer said i could go down into the studio and just have a little look at what goes on and just i was talking to him i was studying radio stuff at university at that time um just pure by chance it's just luck and breaks that you sometimes get that a week later was irish cup fifth round day whenever they need 12 reporters Um, the the day before somebody took the flu, so they literally like he literally didn't have anybody else so uh yeah, he just said, do you want, like, I don't have anybody else. I really need somebody. Couldn't you come and do it? I was like, well, yes. And then that was it. So Brian's been really good to me. You need you need that break, and you also need people to uh, believe in and give you that chance. So uh, Brian in particular, and loads of other people, Clint Degen at the Lurgan meal, and um, loads of people have, have been really good at giving me those breaks. But, uh, yeah, Brian Johnson then just stuck me, I've been basically been doing the radio near enough every week ever since that was five or six years ago. So, uh, yeah, so just a bit of luck. Um, this is about is about the head of what you need, I think.
0: Brian is a uh, I'm an of Brian. Whenever I'm um, I, I help out sometimes in in sports zone and doing the backup. I really am because like I like I love people that love sport because I know I can talk to them and yeah. he just knows everything. <laughs> Oh, he's unbelievable. It, it, it is unreal, like and he and you're and you're right, like he he's so. When you have someone like that there, that that sort of does believe in you, or whatever, and you can feed it from them, and and um, the way he produces the show it's just like sometimes I'll sit back and watch him and just like I can't believe he can do yeah, this, just bang bang bang, and it is brilliant. Like,
1: but how he's do so you calm. find? What do you say? He's, he's so calm, like oh. quite often, like that that world can be a bit hectic. There's things yeah. going on here, there, and everywhere, and people looking him believe this and that and sh- me shouting into him that there should have been a red card at gallon or something. <laughs> <Gannon. And> <laughs> he's just so He's so calm and just takes everything in his stride no matter what you do wrong or mess up. Just It's not a problem. He's just I'm an absolute gentleman. I'm, uh, yeah, if if we could all go to become half as good at him as this job uh, we'd, we'd all be doing pretty well.
0: Yeah, very well. I've been lucky enough I've, had, I've got to shadow you, you know, for radio commentary. <laughs> In the mecca yeah. that is Dungannon. Um that's right. Um, yeah, that's
1: we had we? Yeah. To I, and the Dungannon crew.
0: Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it.
1: How do you find doing radio commentary? Do you know what? I haven't done that much commentary. I've really just been doing the wee like brief reports. So I've done a little bit of commentary, but like, just like, I don't know, like three or four matches this season, and then the coronavirus cut me down in my prime. <laughs> um, uh so that's been really good i've really really enjoyed it really enjoy I, yeah absolutely love it Thing, it's just great crack good fun year Uh yeah like i remember whenever i was a kid playing fifa and commentating on the fifa matches whenever i was a kid like i don't know I suppose, looking back maybe I always had this in me where i wanted to do it uh, without even really realizing it but yeah it's just great fun it's as fun as you can imagine getting paid to watch football would be it is yeah. that fun yeah
0: i i I loved it i really did that day that i got to go out and show you really um like i just as soon as we did it uh i sort of knew in my head that's something i want to chase Um, something i really enjoy doing something i want to chase I um, you, you were
1: very good
0: at it too. You were a natural. <laughs> like, I was so nervous, even though it, it was just a test. When you gave me that microphone, I, I just—it felt like it, it weighed about eight stone. It was—I was so nervous, <laughs> but um, it, it was just—it was a brilliant day. And hopefully, when this all uh, goes away, we can get back to doing that. Um, yeah, so um, you also do—you do, you do the Ulster rugby around the podcast as well. Um, right. Ulster's on stop. Um, which is just typical they're flying they're doing very well in Europe we're all thinking they could get a, have a chance here and um, Dan is I've been lucky enough to stand the press conference with Dan and he just has this aura about him where you think he, he's got something about him and also I don't yeah. want to cross this man because he looks like he could kill me um, what, what's been going on in the world of Ulster Rugby then with COVID-19 and how has the rugby season been impacted?
1: Oh, It's just, it's gone. Rugby is gone. I think rugby's in a, a, particularly Ulster's seasons, just in a, an even more precarious place because it's the Pro 14, like Ulster's domestic league is a a cross-border competition. So it's a nightmare. When's that going to get back underway? I have no idea. Like, they're talking about potentially doing an InterPro series over the summer at some stage just to get some form of rugby back like I don't know how long it's going to take until you see rugby back and it's sort of normal uh, guys I just I don't know and then you've all these this backlog of international fixtures they're talking about playing a, a full six nations now at the end of the year I don't know what they're because it's the financial thing of it too like rugby is not in the same league as football when it comes to finances so Rugby has so much more to lose over this than the likes of the Premier League does, um, and whenever it comes to getting in the new uh, chief at World Rugby and stuff too, there's just going to have to be a real. There could be a real overhaul of World Rugby as we know it uh, coming up, Um even in terms of Six Nations, could th- there's been talk about a World League now instead, and even something similar for clubs in terms of the instead of the. Champions Cup European competition. So I just I don't know what's going to happen with rugby. I, like it's, it just looks like it's a, a long road ahead that could be a, rather difficult in places. But um, as people, I think most people that listen to the podcast do know this as well that I actually don't really know that much about rugby. <laughs> 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 i am very open about that in the podcast though uh, i just i just asked the questions it's the other guys they know everything i just i just asked the questions. we had made, uh i oh. think it was tommy boo with tommy boo on and uh was it tommy and anyway whoever it was and uh, he was like oh yeah i've listened to a few of your podcasts blah 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 and i was like does it sound like i know what i'm talking about and he just goes, He just goes, Well, you're a football man, aren't you? And he was like, Oh, <laughs> so that means no, doesn't it? That means no, absolutely, you know. And he was like, Well, <laughs> okay. So I feel oh, like we need to get a better, but I thought I was hiding it very well, but maybe I'm not hiding it as well as I thought I was. I don't know. I, I am saw. learning. I am learning. <laughs> I had to like, yeah, we can't kind of have a passion for every sport like from childhood, you know. So I had to take a professional interest in rugby and I am, I'm learning. Now, um, and, and I am, and then
0: I like it much more than I used to. I, I saw a kid, now I quite like watching it. Yeah, I, I saw I saw rugby league. him uh, um, in English rugby league is obviously it's it's been given a sixteen or seventeen million bailout. Yeah. To help it survive, and even that figure, which is massive, like if if we won that figure today, that's all set for life. <laughs> that figure is minute <laughs> oh, in I terms know. of football. Like it's just it I is know. crazy.
1: I One know, of the things is that
0: that i kind of want to come out of this is the sport to have a look at itself you know professional sport to have a, yeah. bit of a look at itself now i'm not saying like if, if you're going to offer a player two hundred and pound a week he's not going to say no to it and, and i'm not going to criticize okay. someone for for taking that but it, it, it needs to maybe look at it and think that did we need to put all this money into this the tvd yeah. that need to be this big can we maybe yeah. fix ourselves a bit
1: yeah, I know. No, that's it. That would be a huge positive that you know might come out of this, although I'll not be holding the breath for it. But yeah, like you look at the real heroes of society uh, now that it's so obvious who they are, and I don't even mean just NHS staff and that, I mean like people that are working in shops and are, are also on the front line of this. Yeah, like I just think like it's, it's class, like but these people are like have just been treated as they're not as. Good as other people, and they mm-hmm. do you know? What I mean, it's just nonsense. It's just absolute nonsense. Like people who are doing all these jobs and like bin men and everything who are still out there now, and people delivering your post. Those are their real flipping heroes. Of society let's yeah. put them on footballers' wages.
0: Exactly. It, it, something needs to happen there. I you know that, 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 that. Something needs to happen. That these people, are, when this is all done, we can't forget about them. We can't <laughs> yeah. try to go back to being normal and paying people hundred thousands a week, and then forget about my postman. Or the Amazon delivery man that's been here every oh, day absolutely. since we've got off because Finn, <laughs> Finn needs about five hundred things a day that we have to go and buy. I'm, they're gonna kill me. Um, you know what I mean? And almost known by face recognition, I know exactly who it is when he turns up.
1: But um <laughs> one of the I, uh, I almost feel bad whenever like we have a package or something coming, I'm I'm sorry, I'm putting your life in danger for ordering this thing. We we. My well, friend so told me once. Vancouver white tops, white caps top though. I felt bad when that arrived though, because it was like <laughs> in a naughty doll's box. It was like, oh, you knew this is not essential. I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> I, I I probably shouldn't admit this, but I ordered a classic, uh, Italy football top, 1994, Roberto Baggio. Oh, great. <laughs> it hasn't arrived yet, um, but <laughs> I, I did feel very guilty ordering it. I probably shouldn't I have ordered it, but it, yeah, I, I
1: haven't ordered anything since that Vancouver white top. Oh, no, I not um, yeah. yeah, no, I'm done. It's just stuff <laughs> for essential stuff
0: for the house. Um, yeah. One of the sports, though, that we think is going to get up and running, and also before we start, one of the tweets that was sent out that broke my heart it was from yourself. You oh. should have been at the Masters.
1: Oh, I should have been. Aye, it would and, have all been over and all.
0: And as someone, like, you'll know if you know the pod, Brenton, who's uh, the other producer of the pod and the main producer of the pod. He is obsessed with golf. He loves golf. I'm, I'm a big fan of golf, but he is obsessed with golf. And when I sent him a screenshot of your tweet, he was like, oh, my God. He was heartbroken
1: for you. Um, have you been to the Masters before? No, so I haven't been before, no. Um, I just applied for accreditation this year for the first time because my dad is the PGA captain this year um, of Britain and Ireland. So my mum and dad were supposed to be going. Dad has been a couple of times before. Uh, just with work, and uh, so, mom and dad were both supposed to be going this year. So it was just a really nice chance to go when they were also going to be going. Even though like we'd all been busy, we'd really seen them very much. But even just to get the odd wee lunch with them at Augusta, just would have been really nice. But uh, yeah, so that's why I wanted to go this year uh, in particular. But like hopefully it also happened. they they have it slated for uh, is it the second week in November. I remember the exact the exactly. Second week in November. Yeah, mm-hmm. 12th, 15th. So that'll just be a week after my 30th birthday, too. So that could be quite a nice week celebration if it manages to, to go ahead. So but, are you still going to go if it is, does go ahead? Oh, yeah. If it goes ahead uh, in November, yeah, I'll still go all being well. I think my accreditation, We well, haven't heard anything um, from me, yeah, but I assume accreditation will just carry over. So uh, so it should be fine. So we should still get to go. And I have not booked any flights or anything yet, so it was all okay. And the Airbnb was refundable, so it was great. Everything was fine. Happy, and happy days. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll get to go in November. So uh, yeah, we still have it to, to look forward to. And it could be really, you know, the first ever Masters outside of spring and see Augusta looking totally different to what it normally does. It could be could be a really sort of unique, cool experience. And have maybe been, we'll get maybe we'll get a winner from Northern Ireland too. You never know. Have you been to Georgia before? No, I've never been to America before. Have oh, you not? Know. Been to no? I've been. to I was in Canada last year, but that's the first time I'd ever been over that side of the Atlantic. Canada was really nice, but yeah, no, I've never been to America before.
0: Georgia to look at as a state is some of it is stunning, like and obviously then yeah. you have Augusta, and it will be interesting in November because we're used to seeing the unbelievable sun split in the trees um, the greens painted almost greenlands look perfect. So it's going to be interesting. I'm sure they will yeah. do
1: all they can to make it look. Impeccable. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be brilliant. But even just the colours of the trees and stuff will be totally different. It'll mm. be, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Hopefully, um, look, hopefully we get to experience it. Uh, but we'll uh, take nothing for granted at this stage. So golf, golf was one of the first to react, and they're probably a bit more flexible, um,
0: yeah. and they they can change things. So they've changed their calendar. So just quickly, there's no Open this year, which is
1: interesting. Yeah, no Open. Yeah, a little bit surprised at that, can considering the other three majors just put their schedule back a few months. So the other three majors are all uh, scheduled for between September and November, but yeah, the open's gone altogether. So, um, a little bit surprised, but, uh, I suppose over in Britain, we don't have the same, um, the amount of good weather that they have in America. Yeah. So yeah. can you imagine trying to play an open in November? club? No, remember. thank you. So, uh, yeah, so maybe that's a factor, but the RNA also do things right. Um, I don't mean that other people don't, but the RNA would be very uh, proper in how they handle things. So they just wouldn't have wanted to have put put anybody in any threat or, or danger or use up any health service resources or whatever. Uh, so, um, yeah, look, fair play to them. And uh, what it does mean, interestingly, I would assume that is that it'll take a year longer for the Open to return to Northern Ireland because they've just put everything back a year. Yeah. So uh, St George's, it was due to host it this year, is now just hosting it next year. St Andrew's is due to host next year, and it's been pushed back a year. So you would assume there will be a knock-on effect of that on however long it would have taken it to return to Northern Ireland, By that four, five, six, seven, eight years. It'll just be one year longer now.
0: Um, The Irish Open, we're supposed to go to, and it's obviously been postponed, has there been any chat whether it's going to go ahead or has it been just left yeah. as postponed and haven't announced anything yet?
1: Yeah, it's left that way for the minute, but as uh, Green Hill said at the time, whenever it comes to fixing together this whole schedule, the Irish Open's going to be fairly far down the in order. Yeah, and You have a Ryder Cup still to play and three majors to fit in and so, yeah, it's hard to know at this stage whether that will uh, get played or not this year. But the positive thing for GMAC as tournament host is that he still has next year, where he will be hosting it at um, Port Stewart. So from a northern point of view, uh, I suppose at least it's not that one that's getting cancelled.
0: And it was brilliant
1: the last time I was up there. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah, That's just that was an amazing week and really well handled by yeah. Uh, all the people there, and the course itself was absolutely magnificent, and uh, it stood the test really well against against those top players too.
0: I stood behind John Ram on the seventeenth on Saturday, and he boomed it, and I've never seen anything like it.
1: Oh, it's crazy! It's absolutely <laughs> crazy! They play uh, a different
0: game than we do. Oh, dev big time! Um, so that's changed so the calendar. Is the U.S. Open's going to be on potentially the seventeenth to twentieth September? And then the next week is going to be the Ryder, Ryder Cup. Cup. Yeah. <laughs> um, August the sixth is for the PGA Championship, which, um, like I've sort of penciled head, that into my head. head. That's right.
1: I yeah. forgot we've done it that early because that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I've penciled that yeah.
0: down as a big weekend for myself personally. That I'll see real life sport on the TV, yeah. and hopefully no one will be in danger because you'd like to think in golf they can they can manage it um, yeah. and then we're going to finish what a finish this could be as you said in November in the Masters which hopefully you're at hopefully you're cheering on Rory McElroy win it
1: that's it or Graham Adol
0: or Graham Adol yeah
1: um, place, confirm,
0: um, you never know what Shane Larry could do as well because sometimes he turns no. up and he's unplayable Absolutely. Um, do you think do you think this suits Rory because Brenton, obviously, he couldn't be on this morning, but he wanted to ask you, um, when the, uh, I think it was, the, was it the, what was changed last year? Was it the players, maybe, it was changed uh, last it was
1: really, year? Yeah, moved back from, it's normally played in May, and it was moved back to February, I think, February, March.
0: Do you think something like this could suit Rory, changing the Masters to November? It'll not look like he's used to seeing it. It'll maybe feel a bit different, and he can attack it a bit differently?
1: Maybe, maybe. Although I think the course suits Rory pretty well anyway. Mm. If you drive the ball well, you should be able. Well, like you know, it's if you drive the ball well, it's a huge help. Ryan Augusta and Rory obviously is one of the best drivers of golf ball in the game, and he has like he's done well. You look at I think it's five years in a row now. He's finished in the top ten. Yeah. So like he's there or thereabouts. You know what I mean? It's not as if it that experience in was it twenty twelve or twenty eleven whenever it it was twenty eleven that he fell apart. It hasn't impacted him that badly that he literally can't get rounded it anymore. He can. He just hasn't quite got over the line yet. I actually think he was shaping up really well for this year's tournament at Easter there. I actually think mm. he, had a, he had a good chance there. He was playing so well. Mm-hmm. Um So I don't think it did him any, any favours in terms of it being postponed. But then he just, he's been that consistent since the Open last year that I would expect him whenever golf comes back just to come back and challenged straight away again. um. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it does benefit him in terms of just looking that little bit different. Maybe it'll clear the head a little bit on, uh, of those bad memories. I don't know. It's interesting, possibly. Like, and I know he's putting a lot of work into the mental side of just himself as well as his game. Like he mentioned at last year's Masters, I think it was, that he'd been reading books by this author, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Who, uh, lots of golfers ban his books now. Um book six stillness is the key and he says at the minute he's going back over reading another one ego is the enemy just in terms of not getting too big for your boots basically so like he's putting a lot of work into making sure he's in the right place mentally as much as you you possibly can do that and I just think I think maturity is just going to help Rory around maybe get that green jacket too that you know the older you get I suppose, I don't know I just think the more comfortable you get and he has said before that like he doesn't win the Masters, he doesn't win the Masters, like, it's not the, it's not the biggest deal in the world, obviously, it would be really nice if he did, and he did the Grand Slam, but I genuinely think he believes it when he says, like, if I never win the Masters, like, I'm not going to be crying about it every day, like, it, it's fine, and I genuinely think he maybe does believe that more and more now, that, um, and that's probably a healthier way to go about it, because then it doesn't consume you that much, then it doesn't Hopefully, like just wreck any chances you have that it's it nearly becomes just too big for you to handle mentally. That so I just think as he gets more mature, he has more and more chance of getting over the line. Even that, like last year, he was so close in that final perm, and then did blow up a little bit. But just hope that that one year he can uh, manage to do it, and I think he will. I really think he will. I think, as I say, the more mature he gets, and his game just seems to be getting better and better as well. That yeah, I think we'll certainly see him back. Winning majors again very soon. And as I say, thank you. I think he, if it was a better man, I would say Roy will win the Masters at some
0: stage. I think when he does win the Masters, because uh, I I'm, I agree with you, I think he will. When he does win the Masters, I'll probably weep. <laughs> um, I like you, you, You'll you know this yourself. Roy McElroy for whatever, for, for silly reasons, seemed to have polarised people in Northern Ireland because yeah. people in Northern Ireland just... Love to um, assume someone is something, and um, because yeah. of where they grew up, or where they, um, or potentially where they wanted to play in the Olympics, or who they wanted to play for in the Olympics, and, and that whole nonsense, and that really, really pissed me off. Because yeah. I'm not, I'm not this. I think he is our most interesting sports star that yeah. we've ever had. Carl Frampton, George Best, Joey Dunlop, obviously he was the quiet man. Alex Higgins, they're all brilliant. But I think. Rory really, and I think in the world at the minute, there's there's not many sports stars like him that'll be so open and honest. Yeah, if you you probably read his interviews with
1: Paul Kimmage, which were just yeah. unbelievable. I know, yeah, no, it's absolutely brilliant. No, as you say, like he's just he's a, a sports writer's dream of an interview, like because he just, I think he actually spoke about this on Sky Sports last week. They asked him about his relationship with the media, and he just says if if people have put the effort in to come up with a thoughtful question for me, then the least I can do is come up with a thoughtful answer, but. I just think it shows like real respect that he treats people with and not just the media, but just in terms of dealing with people. Like it's just common decency and um it just seems like a really nice guy, I think. Um I didn't used to really like him whenever he first broke onto the scene, but I was just jealous because I used to play in our golf team that played against his golf team, and then he made it, and I'm still sitting here. So <laughs> it, it took me a while to get over that, you know. But I'm there now. I'm okay now. I'm fully on board now. It's there. <laughs> he
0: he's getting to win majors, and you're getting to sit on <laughs> Skype and talk to me on a Saturday morning. <laughs>
1: who's, the, who's the real winner? Who's the real winner? Here? <laughs> yeah.
0: um Well, as you we both said, I think I think he will win the Masters, and I and I. I say this every year. I think it's going to be this year. I um, hope so. I, I really do. And I, I know that you're there. Someone I know is going to be there I know that you're going to be <laughs> there. And I know because I spoke to your dad a few times in Lurgan Golf Club. It would mean a lot to him if he won it. Okay. He, he comes yeah, across definitely. as a, a Rory McElroy fan. Oh, um, yeah.
1: R- Rory used to buy all his golf clubs off dad whenever he was a kid, whenever he was just first starting out because Rory's coach... Uh, is is really good friends with dad and has been like i've known him all my life him and dad were, were good friends going back like their their whole professional lives really since they turned pro um uh yeah so he used to bring rory to dad's shop and he used to buy buy some of those golf clubs off of dad whenever he was uh he was a young fella so there nice. you go can you beat your dad at golf yet no, absolutely not. No, never once. <laughs> never once, actually. Like, not even once. But I think we well, haven't played a match in a long time. I think if I played him now, I would win. So I think that's why he's put it off. He's like, Oh no, <laughs> we'll not play a proper match today. He's like, Well, we're not He told me never educated. give me a hundred pounds the first time I beat him, but I still haven't got it. I think it must be must be about four hundred now with inflation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope he hears this and then challenges you and then smashes you around learning golf. <laughs> <club.
1: laughs> I shot one over though, that the last round before the pandemic kicked in. We couldn't play anymore. I was, I was really hitting form, but that was um, that do was you think, there we go. Do you think we'll get a Ryder Cup this year, uh, this year? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say, isn't it? It's really hard to say. I don't know whether it would be beneficial to play the Ryder Cup without fans. No. More than anything else, because it wasn't Rory who said this, and Graham as well probably that the Ryder Cup just is what it is because of the fans. Um, so playing it without fans, it would just be a bit crap, for want of a better word. So, don't know. Uh, time will tell. Like who knows? Who knows whether we'll see any sport by them? We'll yeah. it. It's just it's impossible to really say, isn't it? We just need to take things one step at a time at this stage, but hopefully. But um yeah, who knows? Hopefully for Polaric Harton as much as anybody, um, who really deserves this. Uh his, his time as captain. So hopefully it's uh hopefully he gets to live it out in its fullest uh, possible. Like can you imagine you get your one chance to be Ryder Cup captain, you did it with no fans there and it's just not the same. Just be he deserves more than that. He's been such yeah. a great servant of golf and such a great guy and a great servant of Irish golf and done so much for it that uh, you would just hope he gets the full experience.
0: I, I would love. Uh, I want them to put it back because without fans, the Ryder Cup just isn't the same. It really isn't. Like it's, yeah. it's just it, it's it's com- obviously it is completely different than anything we have in golf. But it it's it's weird the Ryder Cup too because the Ryder Cup and probably the Masters are the two tournaments that you'll get people that have no interest at all in golf. Yeah, that wouldn't pick up a golf club, but would go and sit down and watch the whole thing through because of the drama that comes off the screen from it. Big time, yeah. And that yeah. is helped by the crowds. Massively. Okay, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, the um, Red Cup is unique. Like, it's brilliant. Even uh, the Solheim Cup last year had a great finish. Do you watch yes. it? it? was yeah. amazing. Absolutely amazing. You don't get that in any other golf tournament. I love the Red Cup. amazing. But, yeah. So, hopefully.
0: Um, before we finish up, and I'd like to get back to your Saturday, um, before we came on, Tommy Johnson uh, left uh, St. Johnson. Uh, Tommy, right? Sorry, left. Wright. Um, and obviously put this podcast. Thanks very much, Tommy. You put this podcast back about twenty minutes. <laughs> 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 but yeah, he left St. John's now. What that the key to that is that he's been linked again with the vacant Northern Ireland job. Mm-hmm. Just you as a fan, do you think? I know. I think you and Murray had said that, that he doesn't think it's linked to the Northern Ireland job, but the timing of it is very interesting. Um, with it being vacant, do you think this is potentially what we're going to hear in a few days that there could be a move now that it is going to be Tommy Wright?
1: I would still be surprised if we heard something to that effect in mm. the, the next few days. Um, even looking at the what was said on the St. Johnson when they announced it, like it sort of they said something about in terms of they've been working towards this or they've known about this for some time that he is going to be leaving, um, or they were expecting it or. And I I just can't think the IFA have had this agreed for the last few months. Maybe, do you know, they didn't have a great start to the season. Maybe at that stage, Tommy had just decided, look, I've been doing this for nine years, I've 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 had my time at this club here. Do you know, maybe it's time to move on. I I would be very surprised if he is announced as the next Northern Ireland manager in the next few days because yeah, I don't think it's it doesn't make sense that it would have been Uh, agreed whenever uh, things were still so uncertain as to what was happening with Michael and uh, so yeah I don't think so but who knows It really it had definitely changed things least of all for the bookies he's now odds home favourite Yeah, Uh, so yeah I don't know it'll be interesting to see I think it is between him Stephen Robinson and Ian Barclough I can't see anybody else being in the frame for it but who, who knows um it'd be very interesting to see stephen robinson has done such a good job uh and i don't know whether you read the athletic article on on him there a while ago I don't know how long ago it was put up just on how much of a shoestring he he works at Motherwell, and it really yeah. just put into perspective what a great job he's doing there when maybe on the face of it it's not always that obvious but um he has him um, just overperforming so much so Fair play to him for that. And Ian Bariclough too, from talking to quite a few of the under-21 players, have just so much respect for him. And he's done so much in their development, the likes of Liam Donnelly, um and Mark Sykes and everybody. Like, Ian Bariclough was a, a key part of all that. And uh, the, even the results he got with the under-21s, like, beating Spain and Spain was crazy. Like, they had a ridiculous run of unbeaten results yeah. before that. Um, so. And like before that, Northern Ireland under-21s were a bit hopeless, really. So you can't really overestimate the job that Ian Barclough has done there. I definitely think he warrants being in the um, conversation now. And just from what all the players are saying, his approach to things and his professionalism, um, and how he's been working with Michael O'Neill, uh, I think he's a very interesting candidate, Bartloff. Um, But yeah, I think it's between the three of them. Uh, I, but I would be surprised if we heard anything in the next... A lot of days the AFA had said that they hope to have somebody in place just by September. They'd said, but um, like I suppose, the sooner they get somebody in, the sooner they can get the work on planning and things. But um, yeah, be interesting to see what Our-
0: as, a fa- as a fan, what did you make of the O'Neill news? Obviously, you you had to have worked on it like um, mm. for the Telegraph, but just as a fan, when I when it came through to me, like I have a real weird relationship with international football because. I I like seeing both teams do well. But I had... In Euro 2016, um, this is going to make me sound like an emotional wreck here, but (laughs) Gareth Macaulay scored, right? And me and my dad um, were watching the match together. And sometimes me and my dad can argue (laughs) and fall out in times, but uh, football and sport brings the two of us together, like motorbike racing, and football. It really unites the two of us. And Gareth Macaulay scored... And I looked over and he was balling. I mean, <laughs> bawling. And he won't, he won't mind me saying this because he's an emotional man too. And then I started crying and I haven't felt anything like that. Like even all well, goals that were put have scored, uh, different <laughs> things have happened in other sports. When Macaulay scored that goal, I sort of felt myself like, this just means something different. And yeah. Michael O'Neill was so obviously so integral to that. And you saw him jumping in the air and drenched and things. And I went to, North, I go to Northern Ireland games and I really love it and enjoy it. Like, and the sense that he has built in that stadium, like they don't fear anyone really.
1: Like,
0: yeah. And then I just thought when he went to Stoke, I sort of I said good luck to him because he's got a chance to go to Stoke. And whatever people think of Stoke, Stoke has a, is a, is a big enough club, it has unbelievable facilities Yeah, for him to work with. Yes, they're at the bottom of the championship, but he's doing what he's studying it and he's getting good results with them. And then this came out, and I just sort of thought myself, I was like, I can understand that maybe the club want him to focus more on them, but he he has two games, two games from taking us back to European Championships. Where he won't manage us anyway, but two games from getting there. I know. I just didn't. I felt sort of numb, a wee bit bad, sort of like.
1: Yeah. 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 I just felt really sad for Michael that he didn't have the opportunity to finish that job that he so deserves to to have. Um. And the the financial bonus that went along with the, quite okay, mm-hmm. uh, qualifying for the Euros, but um, you what know, he really deserved to have that sort of send off and to finish the job. Imagine, can you imagine the night at Windsor Park where you're, there's a send off for Michael O'Neill and he's just helped them qualify for the Euros? It would have been amazing. But um, so no, look, it wasn't to be, and uh, so I felt really sorry for Michael, and he was absolutely brilliant from our point of view, the media to work with. He was just uh, he was class. Always answered the questions very honest and was was open with us too. And was, and uh, was really good. Um, so sad to see him go. But I really, I think he's going to do a smashing job with Stoke. I'd be surprised if they're not in the Premier League within the next the next few years. Like, um, yeah. and he seemed to like Michael talked about that over the last few years when various jobs came up and he was linked to this, that, and the other. he always spoke about. I wouldn't just be jumping over to any job in England just for the sake of it because he knows the way owners are that you can go jump into a job and you could be out of it within three months. Whereas, so I think he's been very careful as to the job he took on and the type of people he was working for. And um, from what everybody says, I was speaking to uh, a few fans and a, a journalist in Stoke, and um, from what everybody said, because they have gone through a few managers, but from what they were saying, the owner's, are not the type of owners just to hire and fire willy-nilly, and so I think he's, and Mega will have done his own research on that before he accepted the job, so I think he's been very careful as to where he was going, and um, so I think he'll get the opportunity and the time to make a success of that job, and it's hard to see anything otherwise, like we knew what he's capable of, we knew what he did with Northern Ireland, like totally just turned it inside out, made a success from nothing, and uh, so yeah, I would be very very shocked if uh, the same thing doesn't happen at Stoke. So um it'll be nice in a few years when watch Mass of the Day and see Megal O'Neill uh, interviewed at old Trafford and Anfield and all the rest of it. He he deserves that very much. So just look look forward to seeing seeing that happen.
0: I find myself looking for Stokes results now.
1: Oh absolutely yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, Closet Stoke fans now.
0: Yeah and like my obviously the fr- my friends that I get to go to games with the, it hurt I felt really sorry for them. Because I know it hurt them more. I think they thought because I know they're going to listen to this. It's so my apology to them I think they thought I was trying to wind them up. I don't really think they know how much I actually enjoy <laughs> watching Northern Ireland. I think they, they think they think I wind them up and think that I, that I want to wind them up about Republic of Ireland, but it's definitely is one hundred percent not the case. But I felt really <laughs> sorry for them because he was like a, he's like a god to them. So when this news came know. through, I was like, ah, oh. but. As you said, hopefully he does very well with Stoke. I do hope he manages at Anfield, but doesn't win. Obviously, <laughs> unless yeah. it's in the cup. Like I'm not really minding if it's in the cup, but um, yes, Gareth. Listen, thank you very, very much. Not a bother, an absolute pleasure. Um, Anytime. Yes, this this morning. Uh, hopefully, I get the. I don't mean this in a creepy way. I hope I get to see you soon, and we're at well, a game. No, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: Oh, but because I know you you, you absolutely adored on Ganon and you're never out of there so hopefully it'll be in Ganon <laughs> watching um, but yeah, once again thank you for coming on and I really hope we get sport and in, in a safe environment up and running soon and we're able to hear from you a uh, report from Rory winning the Masters in November which would be just before Christmas which would be a massive boost for everyone Gareth thanks once again
1: not a bother thank you very much Phil pleasure